Back to the Money with Katie podcast. Before we launch into today's interview with Betterment CEO Sarah Levy, I am going to do the thing that I personally usually fast forward through. And that is asking you to do me a little favor. If you are enjoying the Money with Katie podcast, please go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. It'll let you know when new episodes drop on Wednesdays, and it'll show the algorithm that you care about what I have to say and what could be a better gift than that. If you're feeling extra karmically blessed today, please leave a review. I think that's only an iTunes thing, but... You know, I'd prefer a nice one, but I'll take what I can get. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today. Sarah is the CEO of Betterment, and if you've been on Money with Katie's website for longer than 12 seconds, you know that Betterment is my preferred investing platform. So it's the one that I recommend. It's the one that I think really gets it right. And so I really wanted to talk to Sarah today and just ask her some questions that either I've been wondering personally that have always kind of been interesting to me or questions that I hear a lot from readers. So a little bit of background about Sarah Before Betterment, she had a lot of experience leading large public companies like Disney and Viacom (laughs) and, you know, you know, just those two. (laughs) So she was working at um, at Viacom when SpongeBob came out, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, things that I would say I grew up on. So I really appreciated getting to meet her for this interview. Um, But, you know, aside from the big company pedigree that you might think, okay, well, somebody that's been CEO or COO of these huge companies, she's probably pretty head in the clouds or is maybe, you know, a little bit detached from us hoi polloi. And I can tell you that could not be further from the truth. She's very down to earth. Um, She's launched and grown businesses, bought and sold businesses, managed the bottom line. And I can tell you just from talking to her for an hour that she is so obsessed with the betterment vision of making people's lives better. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview and I'm excited for you to hear it straight from Sarah. So without further ado, here we go. Sarah, I am so excited that you've agreed to talk to me today. And I know that my readership is absolutely thrilled to hear from you. Um, One of the questions that I got when I kind of surveyed the crowd to ask what they wanted to ask you, somebody said it, you know, can you ask her if it hurt when she fell from heaven because I would be lost without her? and her team. So I would say, number one, right off the bat, thank you so much, all of you at Betterment for what you do. I think you've really provided an incredible service. So with that, let's jump right into it. Uh, First things first, congratulations. I know that Betterment is now a unicorn, which for our listeners means that it has a billion dollar valuation. And I think that it really begs the question, now that you've reached this point, this rare air that so few companies reach, what will Betterment be focusing on in the next five years, 10 years? In your mind, where is Betterment headed from here? 
So there's a lot, there's a lot in that um, very lofty question. Um, we're incredibly excited about our recent fundraise. And I think, you know, in large part because it really validated um, for us what we've built and, and what the team both before me and now with me has built, um, which is really incredibly exciting. And I think, you know, what one of the things that differentiates us and one of the things that brought me to Betterment was really that we are this mission-driven company that now has a decade of experience and track record and customers um, behind us, but also has just an incredible innov innovative DNA. And so this idea that like, we're always pushing the boundaries of what's next and how do we make ourselves even better and how do we deliver you know, deliver on this mission of making people's lives better by continuing to better the products that we have. And so um, you know, one of the areas I'm most excited about in this next, call it five years or 10 years, is we are really uniquely positioned in our long-term view. I think there are a lot of financial solutions out there, you know, that are in it for a quick hit, and we really play the long game. And so one of the things I'm really excited about is this, um, is financial independence um, and the idea that we can, by working with employers, help ultimately our customers achieve financial independence, whatever that means for them. And so one of the big thrusts of, of I think, the innovation right now is how can we work with small and medium-sized businesses on, on a 401k product that really can help our end users and employees um, have a better life. And so what do I mean by that? You know, how do we make retirement as accessible as everyday investing? And how do we help kind of impart to our customers the value of like starting early, um, the value of compounding, um, the value of diversification, and all of those core values in our retail product really extend to a retirement product at a time when the world really needs or the you know, United States customers in particular really need retirement solutions. So that's probably one of the areas I'm most excited about. Um, and then the second area I'm really excited about is this idea of evolving consumer choice um, and personalization. Because I think if you think back about sort of, I, I don't really like the term robo-advisor because I think it's really much narrower than what we now provide. But if you think about what that term meant and then the future and sort of what that term will mean, I think what it originally meant was a great technology solution that helps take something that was very complex and make it easy to understand, easy to use, and to drive better outcomes. But to me, that's really just table stakes. And while that's where we started, I think our vision is so much loftier. And so that loftier vision to me says, what does financial independence mean to you? What is your personalized view of life success? And how can I help you achieve that by guiding you through a simple set of choices and giving you enough kind of options to choose from that you're really making your own personal plan? And I think that's where technology really kind of uniquely can step in and provide a better outcome. That's amazing. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned competitors and, and how, you know, Betterment does have this kind of long game view of, of what y'all are working toward. What would you say makes Betterment superior to its competitors? Because I think this space has proven to be probably pretty profitable. And we've seen a lot of um, new competitors enter the scene since 2008 when Betterment kind of forged this path. So what would you say is Betterment's competitive edge? 
So I think it starts with ease of use, right? We have a delightful experience. And I think recently that ease of use extends much more assertively onto the mobile platform. Whereas I think, you know, the early, the early days um, here were more web focused. And while that remains incredibly important, I think the consumer is demanding a much more mobile first, mobile friendly um you know, uh, platform. And so I think that's one. Um, Two, and this is really important, is that we're a fiduciary. And I think, you know, what does that mean? It means we are genuinely working with our customer's best interest in mind at all times. And that is true. We are regulated to do that, but that is true at all times. And so that, um, that informs everything we do. And I think a lot of people think about our, I'll put air quotes, competitors, as other investing platforms, but we really are a digital investing advisor. And I think the idea that that guidance is really working in the customer's best interest is a really important um, point of differentiation that is not always as understandable to this to the brand new investor, right? The word fiduciary can be a scary word, but I think ultimately it just means that we are working for you, right? We are never at odds with you. We are always working for you. So I think that's really important. And then the third one, so ease of use fiduciary, the third one for me comes back to this theme of personalization, right? Betterment was born through a lens of sort of a goal-based platform, which fundamentally is a personalized idea, right? What are your goals? I'm going to help you deliver on those goals and make recommendations that meet your goals. But that's just one vector of personalization. So to me, the exciting thing happens when you start to say, okay, um, investors want to vote with their VAT vote with their values, right? They want to invest in things that are going to make the world a better place. They want to invest for climate. They want to invest for social impact. These are all areas where we can meet them there. Um, you know, increasingly, I think you'll see us think about other asset classes, right? We've been very, very focused on ETFs. But I think, you know, as investors over this last decade have begun to kind of push the boundaries of what they want, what we want to do is we want to meet them where they are and offer a nice guidance wrapper so that it's not scary and so that we stick with the objectives of long-term diversification, low smart tax uh, planning, and all of that, you know, is kind of what, what fuels betterment and what fuels better outcomes for our customers. I love that. And I like the intentionality here too. And it brings something to mind for me that I noticed, um, early on, but I think has become more noticeable to me now that I've become just a more sophisticated investor. And that's that there are no REITs or real estate exposure inherently baked into the Betterment core portfolio. And I'm curious to hear if you can talk a little bit about that decision and you know how somebody could get some, some exposure to a REIT if they wanted to. Um, well, it's interesting because there is, in fact, exposure to REITs um, in the Betterment portfolios. And the way that is executed is they are part of the mid-cap and small-cap stock exposures. And so, you know, part of this is just a marketing issue, right, which is that REITs, and which are real estate investment trusts, um, they tend to be heavily marketed as a separate asset class um, and a separate portfolio strategy. But the fact of the matter is that if we if we added incremental exposure, then we would have too much exposure to real estate relative to a diversified portfolio. So you are getting that. You're just not being marketed specifically to necessarily know that it's in there. I love that. I love that I just learned something new too. And this, I think, highlights 
why something, and I know you just said you don't like the term robo-advisor, so I want to circle back to that and talk a little bit more about that. But that's why I think, you know, sometimes, and I just called myself sophisticated, so that's perfect. I'm like proving my own point right now. Sometimes I think we think as novice investors that are obviously not professionals that we know more than we do, or maybe we do fall prey to the marketing of, you know, you need X, Y, and Z in a portfolio. And we don't necessarily realize where we may be unintentionally overexposing ourselves to certain asset classes. And I think that's where a product like Betterment really shines because you do have professionals that are behind the scenes. And one of the kind of hilarious questions that I'll get from readers sometimes is, well, if an algorithm is creating it, are there any humans involved? I'm like, absolutely, there are humans involved. So can you talk to me a little bit more about how much human involvement is involved with a robo-advisor? If somebody wanted to talk to a human, could they? And, and who are the humans behind the algorithms? Okay, so there are a lot of humans involved, and there are a lot of incredibly smart humans involved. And and honestly, I learn something every day about our portfolios and about investing strategy and things that, you know, if I had known in my 30s, I would be way better off than I am now. So when I think about the humans, so we have almost 400 employees at Betterment. So that just gives you a sense of how many humans we're talking about. Um, And I would say you absolutely can talk to people. Um, There's a lot of human involvement, and that's probably I missed this earlier, but that's another differentiator for us um, relative to some of our um, our competitors in that we really believe in a combination of human and technology. And I think that gets you the best of both worlds. So when you think about our portfolios, the portfolios are constructed by humans, right? It's not just a computer in the background. And there's a tremendous amount of analytical thinking and risk analysis and liquidity analysis and all sorts of, um, we, we have a really, really um, incredibly deep bench of analysts kind of thinking about not only how to construct the portfolios, but how to evolve the portfolios as, you know, markets change and as, um, you know, market assumptions change. So people are doing all of that. They're then putting those inputs into the technology. And then the technology is running the algorithms to execute essentially on the human strategy. So that's one area where humans are involved. Another area where humans are involved um, is in our customer experience team, where this year we've put a tremendous emphasis on that. And we've built um, you know, a very, very strong team of people available on the phone lines. And this was something really, really important to me when I started as CEO, because as you may or may not know, I've only been here a year. Um, and I, um, I felt that having a delightful customer experience was going to be critical and that it is just so frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating when you're buying, you know, something at retail and you can't get somebody to pick up the phone quickly. If it's your money and it's personal, you really want someone to answer that phone. So we're now answering phones in less than a minute, no matter what time of day you call during market hours. Um, and thinking about even extending those hours um, a little bit. But I think that's a huge, huge differentiator for us because I think where you, where sort of the word robo advice, I think loses something for me is it implies that technology is doing everything and it implies sort of a set it and forget it mentality when this is really a living, breathing, not only portfolio construction, but organization that is here to serve our customers. 
I think that that's a really important point that I want to emphasize for people is that just because technology is being implemented in a way to make it more efficient does not mean that there's not a, a real person or 400 real people on the other side of this product. And so besides the fee, because I think what drew me to Betterment initially was the fact that I felt like I was getting a really incredible value for 25 basis points. I would love to know how you think Betterment is an equal or even better option than using a traditional wealth manager who might charge you 100 basis points or more in some cases. So little known fact is I actually work with a financial advisor and I have for many, many years. So I would not criticize that in any way. I think there's sort of a time for people and a time for technology. I also have a meaningful amount of my own savings um, here and investing here at Betterment. Um, but I think, you know, I think it does start with the fee. And I think in particular, it depends how complicated your situation is, right? So obviously low cost is important. Um, there's accessibility, right? One of the challenges with an advisor is that there's likely a minimum right here. There's no minimum and you're getting treated equally here, no matter the size of your balance, right? You get access to all the great tools, no matter the size of your balance. Um, there is There are things technology can do, like, for example, save you money on taxes that really, while a human advisor in theory could help with your taxes, this is the kind of thing that when automated is just meaningfully um, more, you know, efficient and, um, and it just works, right? It just works. There are sort of triggers and things like that. And that's actual savings that you get from the technology. Um, but I think really, I don't think of us as just a tech solution. I go back to this idea that like the best of both worlds to me is technology plus humans when you need them and when you want them. So, you know, you can have an all tech first solution, but you also can call someone for something as simple as getting set up where I think, you know, a human can be really helpful or you can, as, as your needs become more complex, you can access sort of increasing depth with, with humans so that you can really understand how to use the technology right and to your best outcome. And I think there's one, one thing that I would say, because I, I have wealth managers that follow me or financial advisors that follow me. And one point that I always hear them making is like, well, sometimes working with a person saves you from yourself. It's March 2020 and there's a 30% pullback and I want to pull all my money out of the market, but you know, this individual stops me. And I'm curious from your perspective, what is the biggest challenge that Betterment faces with respect to user behavior? Obviously, you all can control the technology on your end to make sure that things are working efficiently. But what do you think the biggest challenge is with dealing with the fact that your customers are human beings that are um, susceptible to emotion and fear and things of that nature? So I think, you know, particularly during the pandemic, it's, it's a really interesting question because, you know, users had a lot of time on their hands and users had a lot of time on their hands um, to, to all say gambling, you know, I'll use the G word gambling, but I think, you know, the biggest challenge is that, you know, users don't have equal information and there's real information asymmetry out there. And so the professionals are spending 24 seven thinking about where to invest, how to invest, when to invest. And so I think our biggest challenge has been, you know, we talk about buy and hold. 
Well, the idea of because because over the long term, it is in fact mathematically proven and true that you will do better. But that sounds a little bit like eat your vegetables, right? And I think, you know, the hardest thing has been in the last year, there's a lot of people out there saying like, either, either offering an emotional call to action, right? Or offering a little bit of candy, which can be really fun and really tempting, right? And so I think the question is, how do you sort of find the good in that? Right. And not just keep sort of dogmatically saying, no, no, eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables. I think one of what we've had to do is say, how can we adapt and how can we personalize in a way that's actually going to be good for you? Right. Because, by the way, you can have a little bit of candy. Right. And so I think, you know, there's there's a couple of ways we're thinking about that. One, socially responsible investing. Right. Which is to say we have customers who really, really want to drive impact in climate, drive impact around social equality. And that's both about, you know, picking companies to invest in that believe in their values, but it's also increasingly about voting against companies that don't to actually drive change. And I think both of those things, although investing, we suggest be passive, you still can be active within that passive investing, right? And that means your vote counts, your vote matters, and that's important to us. So that's one of the ways, like one of the examples of how do we sort of capture this spirit of, you know, emotional connection to your investing while still kind of practicing what we preach, which is, by the way, don't do things that are knee-jerk. And, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, we did some research to, to really understand customer behavior here to say, like, how much day trading are really are, are you doing out there, average investor? And, and one of the really heartening things was that on average, we found that about 30% of assets are being invested in what I'll call day trading or single stock trading, and 70% people are really putting away in a long-term solution. And so we just like to think of it, you know, coming back to like, how do we make people's lives better? How do we think about, you know, financial independence on behalf of our customers? That's about being smart with your emergency savings. It's about being smart with your retirement account and not doing major things. But it doesn't mean you can't at the margin engage or have fun or have a piece of candy. Right. And so that's what we're, we're trying to really practice a little bit of balance there. Um, and, and I think it's working. And you mentioned the socially responsible investing portfolio. So for somebody that's never used Betterment before, can you describe for me briefly just how somebody would go about setting something like that up? Is it more challenging than the original Betterment portfolio? Is it a click of a button? How does this process work for somebody that might be listening to this right now? Like, oh, I would like to vote with my dollars against some of these companies that could be contributing uh, to things that I don't like. How would I go about doing that? So it's very seamless and very easy. So we offer three socially responsible investing portfolios. They are as easy to invest in as the core portfolio. It's part of the onboarding flow. And then if you're already invested somewhere else at Betterment, but you decide you want to shift your allocations, we also can, with a, just a touch of a button, we can shift your allocation. But before you do that, and before you move money, for example, into a climate portfolio, we would tell you the, the technology will interrupt that transaction and tell you what that will cost you in taxes, because there can be tax implications when you make change. And so that's one of the things, you know, to make sure is that you're doing, you're making changes eyes wide open. Um, so sometimes we'll recommend that your new dollars go into 
for example, a climate portfolio, but that your existing dollars don't move until you're into the long-term capital gains, you know, period, um, you know, in your investments. So, so it's super easy. Um, in terms of voting, interestingly, we did a partnership earlier this year with a company called Engine Number One, and we incorporated um, what they call the Vote ETF um, into all of our socially responsible investing portfolios. And it's actually, it's a great ETF. It's a low-cost ETF that's as low-cost as any other, you know, diversified market solution ETF. But what they do is they use their power, the power of the dollars in their ETF to vote against things like in the Exxon Mobil example, they were able to get a couple of new board members put in who believed more um, in the imperative of driving for, you know, climate improvement. And so it's really about, you know, the underlying ETF leveraging its power to vote and to be an activist. And you can be a part of that. It's not about you necessarily voting one for one, um, because I think that, you know, requires sort of more education and more involvement than some people want. Wow. I didn't know that. That's actually really neat. And we're, you know, as we're talking about kind of moving money between accounts transferring within Betterment, there are some reviews online that I've seen that say, that it takes a while to withdraw your money from Betterment or complaining that it, that, you know, there was a a lag in getting money actually out of the, of the product. And I think that that's probably something that would, that would scare um, a potential investor. And so I'm curious if you can clear that up for our readers. Yes. So in general, it takes um, from investment accounts, it takes four or five business days. Um, It takes one to two days if you're in cash reserve um, to to get your money. And that includes trade settlement period. That includes processing timeline. So, you know, we're always looking to be best in class there. And, um, you know, this timeline is in line with that of our competitors. So, um, you know, you're always going to have the outlier case where someone has a more complex um, situation that causes a a delay. For example, if it's a market holiday or um, if your if your money was recently put in and hadn't cleared and then you're trying to quickly get it out. Right. So there's a couple of like, you know, minor kind of edge cases, I would say, where it takes longer. But but on balance, it's four to five business days. And I think that that's something that. It, especially for new investors, understanding what's actually happening with the cash that you're putting into a betterment uh, investment goal. It's if you're trying to get cash out, then the the assets need to be sold, need to settle, and then it comes to the bank. So I think there's just a, a bit of misunderstanding potentially overall about just expectation setting. So four to five business days that I think makes sense and is is totally reasonable. And I guess I would highlight for listeners that if you are anticipating needing the money that you're putting into an investment account in a matter of a day or two, I would not be investing that money. (laughs) This is probably not cash that you want to be parting with if you're anticipating needing it within the day. Um, But I think, you know, we do, we do have a lot of new investors entering the market right now. Obviously we've been on what, I don't know, a decade long bull run. And I think the, the up and coming kind of personal finance world on the internet has really facilitated a lot of people that maybe otherwise would not have been interested in investing to get some skin in the game. So I'm curious what your advice would be 
to a new investor who's entering the market in 2021 and trying to make sense of you know, all the headlines, some of which are saying, hey, things are better than they've ever been. We're at all time highs every other day. And then you've got some voices that are saying, hey, we're headed for a crash because things are super overpriced. And how would you kind of advise them to navigate that constant information overload? Is that anything new? Is that specific to 2021? Is that something that's always been the case? What would your perspective be? So I think the beauty of long-term diversified investing is that fundamentally what we're suggesting is don't be overly reactive. Don't try to predict the market, right? Even the greatest experts can be wrong at trying to predict the market. So really the question is, what are the best ways to drive you know, the strongest possible outcome for yourself? And I would say there's a couple of themes that, have hold, that hold true, whether you're in 2021 whether you're in 2031, right, or, or anywhere in between, right? And the first is building a low-cost diversified portfolio for the long run on balance and over time always beats um, any other investing strategy. So be patient and be diversified. So I would say that's kind of number one. Number two, I would say start early. You know, no matter how, if you have $5 to invest or you have $5,000 to invest, the power of compounding is your friend. And, you know, I've been trying to teach this to my teenager, right? He had his first job and we took his first thousand dollars and we put it in an account and we said to him, you know, look, if this, if this grows five or so percent a year, you could practically be a millionaire by retirement from your first thousand dollar job when you're a teenager. Right. And so I think I think the idea of the power of compounding is really kind of the strongest um, is the strongest reason to start now. And then and then the third thing I would say is really take advantage of what the government has to offer in terms of tax advantaged accounts. So whether that's your 401k with your employer, if your if your employer gives you a match, do everything you can to get that max match. That is free money right? Um, open an IRA or a Roth IRA. And the rules can be complicated. And so it may take a little bit of reading about which one is right for you. But in general, earlier in your career, when your tax rate is low, you want a Roth IRA. Later in your career, you want a regular IRA. Um, but I think IRAs, HSAs, 401ks, these are all ways in which the government is helping you save and so take advantage of that. And so I think those would really be my three. And that it doesn't really matter is the market up or down. You want to do those three things. It's funny. I always tell people if the IRS is putting a limit on how much you can put in, that means it's some good stuff. Like that means you want to take advantage of it. If they're saying, hey, you can only contribute 6000 or 19500 you want to take full advantage of that account. That's so, right. And the reason they're doing that, right, is because they don't want the wealthy to, to be able to take radically more advantage of a great thing than the average, you know, the average American. And so, so I think that's great advice. And I really, I really appreciate you being here with us today. And I will be honest, I was not expecting to learn anything new about Betterment. And I did. I also learned something new about investing. So selfishly, this has been really helpful. My last question for you, Sarah, is, you know, you mentioned yourself earlier. I think you made some offhanded comment like, oh, well, if I would have done that when I was 30, I'm curious if you could go back in time and tell your 30 years. 30 year old self, anything, 
um, personal finance, money investing, maybe even broader than that career, what would you tell yourself? You're obviously in a very successful position now. And I think a lot of our, um, you know, female readers specifically are really curious uh, about you in general and just the path that you've taken. So I'm curious, what would you go back and tell yourself at 30 years old? Well, career-wise, I would say find something you're passionate about um, because that passion can really carry you a long way in terms of, um, you know, exciting you about what you're doing. And I think, you know, I can't believe how long it took me, in fact, to find Betterment because it's it's really like excited me more than I might have imagined. Um, and in terms of my own kind of wealth management, you know, it's funny when you say, what would you have told yourself from a, from a wealth management perspective? One thing that I wasn't focused on at all, um, and I had no idea really almost until I got to Betterment, um, was expense ratios, which, you know, everyone looks at sort of the, the price on the door of an offering, right? Is it quote free? Well, look, if it says it's free, they're making money some other way. So keep digging, you know, I I would tell you, but I think, you know, there's a lot of hidden fees in finance and it's not just what your advisor charges you or what your, you know, digital investment advisor charges you. There's a lot under the, under the covers there that you really should try to understand. And I think that's a huge value again, that I've gotten from Betterment, even with my own portfolio, the parts of my portfolio that sit outside Betterment, I'm pushing on those fees because now I realize they're there. And so, you know, that's, again, there's always more to learn. Just like you learned today, Katie, I learned today, right? There's always more to learn. So I would just say, be aware of hidden fees, um, be diversified and save whatever you can because saving is good. I love it. Any parting words for our listeners before we close this one out? No, this was more fun than I expected. So thank, <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. I really I'm glad that we it. both exceeded the expectations for today. Well, we really appreciate it. I am so excited for our listeners to get to hear you um, wax poetic about this wonderful product um, that I so strongly believe in. And I think it really is the best option for everybody. And I would close out by saying, quoting... Um, J.L. Collins, who talks about how sometimes people will look at an investing strategy that seems simple and say, oh, well, that's good for beginners. And I would push back on that and say that in investing, it's one of those rare areas where just because something is simple does not necessarily mean that it's only good for beginners. And I think that smart people tend to have a problem with that because we've been so conditioned to think that the harder we try, the more we know, the more complex or complicated we can make something, the better, and it's going to result in better outcomes. And I think this is one of those areas where I don't think Betterment is the best for just beginner investors. I think it's the best option out there, period. So that's how I would close us out. Thank you, Sarah, so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm really excited for people to hear this one. Thanks so much, Katie. It was a pleasure. So there you have it, guys. Straight from the horse's mouth. One thing that I learned from this episode that I genuinely didn't know, and I'm all about humility humility and always admitting when I don't know something, I had no idea that there was REIT exposure in small and mid-cap funds, which... I think it just goes to show that you can think that you know what you're doing. And I would consider myself who someone who reads a lot, who learns a lot, who's constantly trying to 
improve my understanding of investing and what I'm doing with my money. And I had no idea. So when I sent Sarah that question and said, hey, I want to talk about why there's no REITs in a Betterment portfolio, kind of just goes to show you that, you know, if we have these 400 experts behind the scenes that are figuring out what the ideal portfolio should be for you, even if you get a little bit high and mighty like I may have, clearly somebody else knows better. So if you are interested in signing up for Betterment, you can do so at www.betterment.com slash money with Katie. That link does not get me anything. It's not commission. I'm not going to make any money if you sign up, but it is the community link that helps me show Betterment. Hey, my readers listen, they care, they want to use this product, and they know that I am recommending it for the right reasons. So with that being said, I do want to give you one last piece of advice. Sarah mentioned Roth IRAs in her interview, and I would say that my top three Betterment accounts, if you're going in blindly and you're not sure what to open, that would be the safety net account for your emergency fund. It's technically the safety net investing goal. So when you go through setup, you're gonna wanna click the option that says invest for a goal, not save cash, right? Because it is invested, safety net. Then Roth IRA, that is also obviously invested. So I would definitely open one of those. And like we were joking about in the interview, you've got a $6,000 annual contribution limit. You can also do a backdoor Roth IRA in Betterment, which is super cool. You would just open a non-deductible traditional account IRA and then convert it to Roth. So If you need to do a backdoor Roth IRA, you can do that in Betterment. And then the last one is the general investing account. Now, this is the one that, you know, we were talking about socially responsible investing. If you wanted to dabble, this is something that you could choose the SRI uh, options. And I think you could also probably do it in the others too, but I tend to like to diversify even amongst the Betterment portfolios that I would use. So I would say if you wanted to dabble, that may be a good one to dabble in. So again, that's the general investing goal. So you would go through the setup process, you would click invest for a goal and then choose general investing. But you know what, if you're trying to invest for something else, like a house or a remodel or a kid or education, you can choose based on goal and then tell the algorithm when you need that money and they will invest your money accordingly, which is really, really cool because it makes sure that you're not overexposed to risk. So with that, that link one more time, www.betterment.com slash money with Katie. I hope you sign up, even if you don't use my link, that's fine. Remember, I don't get anything anyway, so no skin in the game for me. But I do hope that if you're not using Betterment yet, that you choose to, because it is a really, really wonderful product, and I think it is the easiest way to get the best results, regardless of your familiarity or education level with investing. Okay, I'll see you next Wednesday.